Welcome to Integrative Nurse Coaches in Action, the podcast where nurses, healthcare professionals, and consumers come to hear from inspirational nurse leaders in health and wellness coaching. We cover the latest innovations, ideas, and breakthroughs from nurses who are shifting the paradigm of disease care to healthcare through the art and science of integrative nurse coaching. I am so excited to share today's podcast with you. We welcome Dr. Barbara Dossie, the co-founder of Integrative Nurse Coaching. Yes, that is so exciting. And we talked about so many interesting ideas, concepts, and shared such joy for nursing. One idea we dove into was interiority or going inward, using introspection to tap into ourselves. And what matters to you? What are you really thinking and feeling? What are your intentions and your values? And how and when you share these views in your life is your absolute choice. Barbie's beautifully inspiring energy lights up every one of our cells, bringing in positive vibration to our worlds. Before we get to today's podcast, let's take three Deep breaths in and out together. One. Two. Three. Now we're ready. Dr. Barbara Dossie is an internationally recognized integrative holistic nursing pioneer. She's a nurse theorist as well, having written The Theory of Integral Nursing, co-author of The Theory of Integrative Nurse Coaching, and she is a Florence Nightingale Scholar. She is co-founder of the International Nurse Coach Association and co-founder of the Integrative Nurse Coach Academy. She is also the international co-director of Nightingale Initiative for Global Health and director of Holistic Nursing Consultants in Santa Fe, New Mexico. She has authored or co-authored 31 books. She contributed to Dossie and Keegan's Holistic Nursing, a handbook for practice. And her recent publications include The Art and Science of Nurse Coaching, The Provider's Guide for Coaching Scope and Competencies, Nurse Coaching, Integrative Approaches for Health and Well-Being, and Florence Nightingale, Mystic Visionary Healer. She's also published numerous textbook chapters and articles and presented many local, national, and global conference keynote addresses. She is a founding member of the American Holistic Nurses Association and received the AHNA 1985 Holistic Nurse of the Year and the 2014 AHNA Lifetime Achievement Award. She is an 11-time recipient of the prestigious American Journal of Nursing Book of the Year Award and has received many other awards and recognitions. Welcome everyone to Integrative Nurse Coaches in Action. My name is Nicole Vieno. I am your host and I am also a board-certified integrative nurse coach and I can hardly contain my excitement because we are welcoming Dr. Barbara Dossie back to our podcast again. I felt it was so important to have her voice come to our podcast again. 
And if you'll recall our listeners, Barbara Dossie was on episode 17. We called it Find Your Nursing Soulmate back in July, 2021. And it is about time we had Dr. Dossie back on our podcast to share what's been going on since then. Um, For our listeners who are newer, Dr. Barbara Dossie is the co-founder of the International Nurse Coach Association. She is one of the visionaries of nurse coaching. She is just an incredible human being. I am so jazzed (laughs) to have her on the podcast. So welcome, Dr. Dossie. Oh, thank you so much. It's so, so much fun to see you, to be here with you and, uh, just the joy that you bring. And I love your laugh. (laughs) Thanks. Thank you. So we talked about so many fun things in your very first podcast with us. But the one things that we never asked were some of the questions that we've asked every one of our guests. And so I thought it would be fun to know a little bit more history of Dr. Barbara (laughs) Dossie before she became (laughs) doctor. (laughs) And what guided you towards the nursing profession? Uh Well, I want to say that I grew up in a family where uh, it was a given that college education was important. So I was very blessed that way. How I began to even consider nursing is that my uh, granddaddy, Montgomery, daddy's daddy, lived with daddy's brother and three of his daughters were nurses. They were seven, eight, and nine years older than I was. So you know what it's like when you are growing up and there are these older people, older, just a few years. I mean, they're just, you know, fabulous. And uh, my three first cousins were fabulous. And when we used to visit a Big Daddy, and we called him Big Daddy because he was six, seven, Daddy was six four. Oh, man. Uh, Daddy's brother was six four. So they're my and my twin brother is six four. We got tall men in the family. Anyway, in my junior year, we had gone down to visit Big Daddy, and we're out on the back porch. And it's one of those things, you know, when you've got about there, you know, twenty five or thirty of us with all the first, second, and third cousins and friends that drop by and stuff like that. But I'm sitting on the back porch, and there are a bunch of people around. And my Uncle Hoss just looks at me and he said, well, Miss Barbie, a nickname I've had all my life, Miss Barbie, what are you going to do with your life? And I went, oh, Uncle Hoss, no one's ever asked me that question. And he said, well, what do you want to do? And I said, well, I need to think about it. And he said, well, I want to tell you what I think you need to do. And he's pointing at me like this. And he said, you need to be a nurse. You would make a good nurse. And I went, And of course, I had, you know, idolized my three first cousins that were nurses and they would come in in their white uniforms and their uh, blue capes and their white caps and their white nylons and white shoes. And and one thing that was very interesting, though, is that their mother, Aunt Kathleen, when uh, my cousins would come home and back then, if you weren't married, you lived at home. We're talking about in the 40s well, the 50s. Well, 1960 at this time. Anyway, so they were at home and uh, Aunt Kathleen just said, well, girls, okay, tell me how your day was. And then, you know, they would just kind of start talking. And then before you know it, all three of them 
Two of them worked in the same hospital and the other one worked in another hospital. But they just start comparing and sharing stories and what they did to solve problems and so forth. And I just, I was fascinated by it. Luckily, when I was growing up, there was no illness in our family. And I only one time remember visiting someone in the hospital. So I didn't have any experience there at all. And so anyway, after that weekend, uh, a week later was time for me to visit, visit my junior counselor in high school about, you know, looking, beginning to look at college and what we wanted to do. And I ju- it just popped out of my mouth. I want to be a nurse. Now, I had given it no more thought except what I can say is it was in my bone and blood already, having watched my cousins for years. And for me to just voice that, and when I voiced it, it rang true. So it never even, I never even thought about not doing it. And luckily, when I went to the junior counselor, uh, she was just absolutely thrilled to hear that I had wanted to do that. And, you know, she then she does all of my strengths about personality and the way I relate to people and, you know, all that stuff. So that is my early introduction into nursing. And I have never looked back. It has been one of the great joys of my life. <laughs> I love this story. I'm imagining all of your very, very tall <laughs> gentlemen in your family <laughs> and right, right. Big Daddy pointing at you saying, you need to be a nurse. Right, right. But well, it was my uncle that said oh, that. Oh, your uncle's. Yeah. Oh, oh, right. Uncle Big Daddy. Oh, I can't remember. <laughs> Big, Big Daddy's my granddaddy. Ah. Uncle Hoth. But Uncle guess what? Hoth. It got around. The conversation got around before we left. Ah, ah yes. <laughs> and, Big, and Big Daddy did nod. He nodded. He gave the approval. (laughs) I love that. But your cousins were all nurses. And that conversation about what they were doing at the time to, uh, in their work, inspired you. Mm. And my Mm. oldest uh, cousin was a supervisor. And then the other nurse working uh, cousin was working on a med surge floor. And then my other cousin, she worked in a prison which was uh, an introduction to me. I had no idea that nurses worked anywhere except for, you know, in hospitals. So that became also began to, you know, hear different kinds of stories like that. Wow. I love it. I love it. And then you never looked back. I love that part too. Never, ever, ever. Never, ever. And that's one of the things you can say about nursing is it invites you to look at all of life and the beauty of us having the privilege of looking at theories, at looking at protocols, and having frameworks and standards of practice that guide our profession is just extraordinary. And that's one of the reasons now, what is it, 22 or 23 years in a row with a Gallup poll that nurses have been number one of healthcare professionals. The most ethically sound and trusted profession. That's correct. Yes. Yes. So I'd love to, and I know our listeners would love to learn too, uh, a little bit about some of the areas that you enjoyed practicing in. Well, and I must tell you that this also is another part of my love and what has driven my work all of my life is I graduated from school in 1965. And let me also say that when I, in 1963, 
They did the first open heart surgery at Baylor University Medical Center in Dallas. This is not the Baylor in Houston. They're not connected. But Baylor University in uh, Medical Center in Dallas is a Baptist university. And I went, did my undergraduate at Baylor in Waco and then came up to Dallas to do my uh, last two years. In 1963, they did the first open heart surgery. And they thought it would just go okay and they would just keep the recovery room open for 24 hours. Well, they did do that, but then it began to look at they wanted to do more surgeries. And then before you knew it, they were taking a wing of the hospital and creating a critical care unit. I mean, it's it's not the fancy one. It's just like, you know, you take the last 10 rooms of the surgery floor (laughs) and then it became a critical care unit. But anyway, early on, uh, because they did not have the staff to do the basic task things like emptying, you know, bags of whatever (laughs) and, uh, you know, and and hanging things and uh, running errands and so forth. So they let the student nurses come in who wanted to. Well, I could not wait to do it. And I am an Aries. I have a lot of energy. And I think I remember you're an Aries, aren't you? (laughs) <laughs> I am an Aries. We are two Aries on this <laughs> podcast right. together. <laughs> and I have a lot of energy and I just, I love the pace of it. I love the complexity of it. I loved the teamwork. And so that's where I worked every weekend as a student nurse, uh, getting the experience. And then that was back in the time where you didn't have to have any other type of experience in 65 And uh, if you wanted to do it and you had shown and demonstrated that you could do it, you were invited to the unit. So I was invited to a critical care unit that was a brand new by then because they had spent that two years building a new unit. Worked clinical for uh, 10 years and then fell in love with it. And then different things happened. I got passed over as a head nurse and I thought that I was going to get it. It was one of the great gifts that was given to me. But one of the reasons I did not get that position is that I was already, I'm the kind of person that is, this is really good, but how can it be better? (laughs) How can we change this and make it better? So even though I was in the running for it, my best friend got it and we're still dear friends. But what that did, that opened up a place for me and it was a it was a devastating experience because I'd never seen myself beyond being the head nurse on that critical care unit. But one of the things that had happened, and this is where it's key in all of the work that we do, is model what you believe to be true. And what I loved is t- having uh, student nurses and to be able to shadow and you know work with them in the unit. And so one of the instructors from the junior college had, he liked me and I certainly, you know, liked him. He was just a fantastic uh, guy. And he had, was working at the junior college. He had uh, gotten with two other uh, people, a grant to take medics from Vietnam and create and all the protocol and everything so that they would become bedside ADN nurses. And he needed a faculty person to work with him on that. And he came to me about a week after that happened where I just, you know, I just was 
I, I, I was confused. I didn't know what I was going to do, but I knew that I, I would figure it out and continue to do my work. And so he popped in one day and he said, let's have coffee. And I said, sure. And so I went to have coffee and he said, I have something that I want to uh, propose to you. And he said, I've just got a big grant for three years and we are taking uh, 18, 19 medics that are just home from Vietnam that have been medics out in the field and doing everything to get them prepared to sit for uh, to become ADN nurses. And he said, you're going to have a real challenge if you do this with me, because these are guys who have put in chest tubes, done trachs, cut downs out in the field you know, began to triage and, you know, stabilize broken bones and on and on and on. It was challenging. It was absolutely thrilling. And so that was my way into education. Then uh, from there, and then working with those students back in the hospital where I didn't get head nurse, you know, just one thing led to another. And then it became very clear to me after oh, probably about uh, four or five years that I needed to get my master's. And so went back and got my master's. Uh, actually, 10 years I received, graduated in 65. And by 75, I had my master's in med surge nursing. And uh, it was absolutely thrilling with a specialty in critical care. And the thing that I wanted to say about that is all of this, it was steeped in just everything was so new then. We had the American Association of Critical Care Nurses. It was brand new. We used to have in Dallas at our critical care uh, meetings, uh, four and 500 people each month at our meetings. It was so new and people were just hungry and it was thrilling. And it was also a time uh, on the unit where I worked before I did that is there were 13 of us, only two were married, all the rest of us were single, and we were a, a pod, we were a tribe. We were loving critical care, we were teaching whoever caught on first, taught it, and one reason I was good at teaching is because I'm a right brain learner, but oh my gosh, I could hear heart sounds, I could hear lung sounds, I could hear bowel sounds, and I was really good at, at teaching it as well. And so what was important about that is then it was writing the protocols for that. And so a thing that I would like to say here is along with other colleagues was doing that. And uh, then at the critical care meeting, uh, three colleagues that were good friends, we would always see each other. We worked at different hospitals. We just, you know, it's that infinity, you know, you meet people and you like them. And it turned out that we went to an early uh, National Teaching Institute. It was probably in about 76 or 77. And to, to be with, and at that time, there were a couple of thousand. Now that meeting is eight or 10,000, uh, the critical care meeting. But to be with oh, that many critical care nurses was just absolutely thrilling. And it was at an early NTI in about 76 or 77 that uh, my three colleagues and I went to the booth to look at all the displays of books and so forth. And at that time, there were only there was only one book written, and it was written by physicians for nurses. And we looked at that little book and we went, it is really good, but it is not the way we would put a critical care book together. Well, you know where I'm going with that. <laughs> 
And so here we had, and we just said, our teaching tools are better than this. The what if the teaching tools are with all this stuff that we know? And all of a sudden, you know, you could just see the light bulbs going off in each of our, you know, eyes and head and spirit. And we said, okay, let's table this. And so uh, about, oh, a month later again, and we just said, okay, let's just go, go away and let's think about it. So uh, within a very short, within a month when we were back together, we uh, decided to have dinner within a couple of nights after that meeting. And we sat down and after three and a half hours, we had uh, really laid out a first uh, table of contents of the way we would do it and what it would do. And so one thing led to another. And so the first uh, critical care book that came out uh, with Little Brown and Company in 1981 it was called Critical Care Nursing, Body, Mind, and Spirit. <laughs> and it was about 500 pages. It was a big book. It took oh, it took us about five years, number one, because none of us had published before. But it's just one of those things. And I will say that's one of the things that I do. I get an idea. I have no idea how I'm going to get there. But I get a big idea. And then I love to work with, like you, with like-minded people. And so just the way we can spin ideas off of each other and, you know, work it and work it. And then, you know, this is ringing true and this is the way to go. So that is one thing that that was very exciting about that critical care book is uh, it was a way to begin to put the voice in there of body, mind, and spirit and to look at complementary and alternative therapies, which was way, way uh, over the top at that time. People did not. I mean, it was woo-woo if you did it. But we were real clear that we, you know, we were already engaged in some research and using in our units. So, I mean, there was literature, not in the nursing literature. It was in psychology and sociology uh, and OT and PT where we could see this. But we were putting in this deeper essence of the the holistic framework uh, in the work that we were doing. Oh, I'm just absorbing all of this history. And that was that your very first textbook that you wrote, like that first was. book ever. Mm. And yeah, I, I had been written an article. <laughs> <laughs> I had done teaching sheets and I had taught in conferences in the hospital, but never anywhere except just in our hospital. But I just I loved it. And it was just, you know, it was such a and also it was an exquisite time where physicians had deep respect for nurses. And we were all learning this together. I mean, physicians didn't know how to take care of these people. They just expected the nurses to do it, but then they recognized that it's a whole different level of care. And so to be, you know, working with physicians on protocols and perfecting that, and, oh, it was just, it was thrilling. Mm. And so it's that camaraderie. And so it is that experience that then has allowed me always to look for my tribe. And I was very blessed then, and about the same time the book came out in 1981, is uh, Charlotte McGuire that we call Charlie, and she's on the other side now, and she's blessing all of our work, we know that. Uh, Charlie had invited 75 nurses to come to the Woodlands, which is a, a retreat center area right out of Houston. And she was establishing the holistic American Holistic Nurses Association. And she called me on the telephone before that. And she said she had heard about my work in Dallas, what I was doing. 
and she wanted me to be at that founding meeting. And I just said, and the other thing that had just happened is I became real focused that in order to find the voice of holistic philosophy and standards of care, we needed to have a voice and I wanted to connect with the American Nurses Association. So, uh, and that was one of the things, one of the great gifts in my undergraduate program too, is I could get five extra points by joining the American Nurses Association as a student nurse. And I don't know about you, but in undergraduate school, I was always looking for five extra points. Yeah, we all need those extra (laughs) points. (laughs) That's right. I could also get five extra points for attending a nursing theory conference in Dallas. So I got 10 extra points. But those two gifts were just tremendous. And I have always been a member of the American Nurses Association. I have been active in my state nursing organization and in my local chapters all my life. And uh, again, just the joy of feeling connected. And that's the other thing about a profession is to have all of these specialty and subspecialty organizations where we can continue to learn and thrive and grow and uh, work together to look at how our collective intelligences can become aligned to do this important work. So good. (laughs) So good. I'm coming back to the comments you said about model what you believe to be true. Right, right. And that each step that you took, no matter at first not getting the job as the, you know, the nurse manager or the charge nurse and not realizing that that in fact was going to lead you to something else. And now you're seeing it as a gift. But at the time, that was difficult. Mm. I was just devastated. Devastated. And then moving onwards to find your people. (laughs) But that's a theme in your life is finding those people who are, you can connect with that are like-minded and also different-minded because I know not everyone is like-minded, but those people, those people that um, you could work with to move, move the needle, so to speak, in whatever it is that you, you are trying to do. And in this world, in nursing, it's so important to find those people. Right, right. And I will say that was something early on that was very important uh, in the work is in critical care, you know, as I began to at that time, it was just, you could go to a conference. There were 10 or 20 conferences you could go to every weekend. And so I was doing a lot with relaxation and imagery and music and biofeedback and looking at anything that was transpersonal, looking at psychosynthesis and putting all those pieces together. The thing is, if we're going to make a change and live our deepest values. We have to... And now a word from our sponsor. The Integrative Nurse Coach Academy offers nurses innovative approaches to re-energize and expand your nursing practice with new skills and tools that focus on lifestyle, health, and well-being. As an Integrative Nurse Coach, You will confidently promote wellness and resiliency by guiding your clients, patients, and communities to deepen their connections to inner healing resources and expand their capacities to make meaningful choices for healthy lifestyle change. Plus, you'll learn critical self-care tools to actively take care of your own health and well-being on the journey. 
Join the global integrative Nurse Coach Academy community and rediscover your passion for nursing in the online Integrative Nurse Coach Certificate Program. Learn more about our programs at inursecoach.com. And when you register for the Integrative Nurse Coach Certificate Program, be sure to use the code ACTION to get $100 off the Part 1 and 2 bundle. Now, back to the podcast. The thing is, if we're going to make a change and live our deepest values, we have to experience it ourselves before we can teach it to others well. And so I began a meditation practice. I became very serious about jogging and just you know looking at the environment and what I was eating and, and so forth like that and putting those pieces together. But what I wanted to say is as, as my life began to change, then I would go to work and then all of a sudden I found myself listening to patient stories differently. And one of the first people, I will never forget it. And it was just one of those things. And it just took deep courage to do it because nobody was doing it that time. And this patient was getting ready to go for uh, a cardiac cath. He had had a heart attack and he was recovering from that. And that was back in the day when we kept people in the hospital for three weeks <laughs> and in bed you know, using the bedpan. Yeah, I mean, it was just, you know, crazy, crazy. So he was getting ready to go to the cardiac cath lab. And he said, man, he said, I'm going to have trouble down there today. And I said, hey, what's this about? And he said, if anything happens to me down there on the table, he said, oh, is my wife going to be pissed? He said, I wish I could talk to my attorney because I've made investments that my wife is just going to be dumbfounded if she find, when she finds out about it. And all of a sudden, you know, his blood pressure was going up and he was getting anxious. And, you know, I was wondering, is he, is he getting ready to have, you know, chest pain again and so forth? And I said, you know what? You're not going down there till three o'clock this afternoon. Do you want to see if we can get your attorney in here? You know, it's just one of those miracle things. You ask a question. He said, could you do that? And I said, I can. I can. If you give me a telephone number, I'll pick up the telephone and I'll, I'll let you talk to him. And that attorney was in there within about an hour and a half. And they got all of that settled. And then after that, it was about time to get him ready to go down to the cath lab. And I just said, well, how are you doing right now? And he said, dead gum, I wish I was doing something else besides going down there. And I said, well, what would you be doing? He said, are you serious about this? And I said, I absolutely. And he said, you're going to think this is crazy. He said, if I had my way right this minute, I would be dressing to go fly fishing. And I went, well, I don't know if you know, Larry's a fly fisherman. <laughs> I, yeah. Okay. And so I know a lot about fly fishing. And I just said, you're kidding. That's what you would do. And I said, do you want to go fly fishing right now? He said, what are you talking about? And I introduced him to relaxation and imagery, put him through a short imagery script, had him close his eyes, imagine putting on his gear, you know, found out where he like if he liked to stream, bank, or, you know, how do you want to do it? And had him, you know, he was in Southern Colorado and a guy, we have fished that, those streams so many times. And I said, well, are you around beaver ponds? He said, yeah, how do you know? And I said, well, you know, my husband's a fly fisherman. So anyway, go through that. So I had him, you know, put on his waders, start walking, putting on his, you know, pack with all his, you know, flies in it and, you know, his fly fishing gear and all that stuff. And so we just went down there and I said, you know, let yourself just be in the stream. 
And all you're doing is you're just sending it out there and just having the joy of feeling when you just do that, you know, perfect toss. And remember, this isn't about perfection, but at least you know what I'm saying, you know, when you do it. And then I got him ready uh, before he was going to get on the gurney, uh, read him through, uh, you know, just an easy relaxation about breath in and breath out. And as you're going down there, remember to breathe and then look at the overhead lights on the ceiling if you want to keep your eyes open or if you want to close them. He said, I'm going to keep them open. And so, you know, he just said, type A. And I said, terrific. Every time you pass one of those lights, it's a breath in, long hallway. And when you come to the next light, breath out. And then when he got back, uh, you know, in about an hour after that, and I went in, and in the meantime, I'd been busy doing a bunch of other stuff. And I went in to, you know, do his vitals and do all that stuff uh, post-cath. And he said, you're not going to believe it. And I said, what? And he said, I caught the biggest trout I've ever caught in my life. <laughs> so I went, that was one of my wake-up calls of, oh, my gosh, I need to be part of a team that begins to write the protocols for this. Because what I had done could have been distorted. And there were many nurses at that time. We don't have time for that. But this is the beauty of it, is you connect it and you put it in everything else that you're doing. It's like when you put medicine in an IV drip uh, and it's pain medicine. You there do the relaxation and imagery and you teach them to feel the experience of, I'm now putting this uh, medicine in uh, the IV. It's going to be in your bloodstream very quickly. And just in a moment, and already you might even begin to feel some relaxation. And, and it's just the, you know, learning to use our voice as another instrument in our art of nursing. And so this is exactly, you know, what, what I've been sharing here is it's the art of nursing. And for all of us as nurses to look at that we are artist healers. We are nurses and we are artists and we have a craft. <laughs> we have a profession. And how do we do it? I mean, you and I working in critical care, uh, there are things we would do the same, but there are other things. And, and and the thing that guides what you really do with these imagery and relaxation is catching the threads of that person's story and knowing who they are and going to that deeper level. So beautiful. I imagine him, the type A, <laughs> and how many patients are very similar. But then also our nurses, our fellow nurses, who are also those high energy, those high up, up, up nurses who are living in that world. And, and, you know, you and I were both critical care nurses and we are those people too, (laughs) but ourselves having to go know ourselves, our interiority. And I know that this is important for you as well as you think of the nursing profession and where we are today. Right. Uh, I think this is absolutely key. You know, there's so many people that talk about moral distress, soul pain. I can't take this anymore. And I really feel that when nurses are caring for themselves at a deeper level and they can come together to be in dialogue to share what the stressors are, and when we hear each other's story, then we can begin to. What I see happening a lot is nurses are not taking that time to come together and they're not doing their own inner work. But let's just, since I've brought it there, is how can nurses come together for short periods of time to be in dialogue? 
And when I talk about dialogue, it's when you and I, and let's say if we have three or four more others here, and there's a lot of distress going on in the unit. If we are, somebody's covering for us, and then we take 20 or 30 or 40 minutes, and then the people that are covering for us then get to take 20 or 30 or 40 minutes to come together so that we can be in dialogue where we speak our truth. And that is what is key. How do we learn to speak from our heart and listen from our heart? And then also be concise about what we want to share and then let go of what we said, not judging it or anything, and be ready to, once again, listen to other people speak from their heart as we listen from our heart uh, and being concise so everybody can begin to share. So when we speak about interiority, yes, it's absolutely key. And the reason that is so important, and this is what's necessary with all of us, is to have some kind of a practice. And there is no one practice, but I will just share what works best for me. And it is a breathing practice. The thing that allows me to go inside myself, whatever the external environment is, nobody knows what I'm doing. Let's say if I'm in a meeting or in a busy place, but I can tap in and hear my own voice go, breath in or out. I don't even have to say it anymore because I know what it means to have a still upper chest and to let my stomach blow up like a balloon. So that is one of my deep practices is how can I slow that breath down? And when I do that, I also like to connect it with what we have in common here is the heart breathing that we learn through heart math is how do we connect our fields more quickly and more easily? We're there. And it is an image of my heart space. It could be in the center of my chest. But anyway, I put all of my attention here. Breathe into my heart. Let go. Breathe in slowly. And then I extend that deep love and peace that comes out to the people I'm working with to the patient that I'm caring for. And I will say last night, I mean, the reason for this interior practice, the reason it is so important, is like in the middle of the night last night, I woke up and went to the bathroom and got back, crawled back in bed because we turned the heat off at night and it was cold. It was, you know, down in the 30s, maybe even in the high 20s, to crawl in under that blanket. My hubby is sleeping and I can hear him having a good sleep and I get under that blanket and the first thing I did was I went to thinking about the women with their families in the Ukraine and there was a part of me that just felt the deep suffering and that that's part of what we have to do here and this is part of where I'm going with this interiority is rather than getting overwhelmed with that what I did was I registered that, and then I was in bed still and quiet and comfortable and peaceful. And in order to keep my own interiority and openness and not be destroyed by that suffering, because the images of the war zone and everything came on, it was just the breath in and out. And then one of our practices that we have in nurse coaching is loving kindness. So it's breathing in and out, calm and at ease, and then sending that loving kindness out into the universe. 
And that's one of the things that we know right now is our consciousness is not just contained in this thing called brain, is that consciousness is fundamental in the universe. And so when we have these thoughts of peace, of resilience, and wholeness, and prayer sending it out, something does happen at a distance. And uh, it is very reassuring. Very reassuring. It also brings us to ourself because we, when you, when you were talking about being in your cozy, comfortable bed, and then you're awake in the middle of the night. It's so quiet. You hear your husband, it's comfortable. And then we think of, it could be anything, right? For me, it could be, oh, I wonder what's going on with my mom, you know, or, or whatever those thoughts are. And sometimes that just, we just go away with that and then we can't sleep. And then that cascades into something else and something else. So the registering, the acknowledgement of that going on in ourselves, and then a practice to help move us beyond that. Right. Yeah. And the importance of our interiority going inside mm -hmm. is to look, one of the metaphors I love to use in Larry and I backpacking in the high country for 45 years is when you get at the high mountain lakes at 10,000 feet and you, you're just right there at the base of, you know, a 10,000 foot uh, peak and the water is so still, you can see the image of, you can't see where the real mountain and the reflection are separate because it is so still. And so I like using that metaphor of how can I go deeper inside myself and not repeat the same old conversation I'm having with myself, but to go deep below the level of the surface and go deeper. And this is where the breath exercises come in, go deeper and deeper, and then to discover new patterns that are waiting there for me. The shadow, the things that aren't don't make sense, that I don't have an answer to. I don't know what I need to be doing next. How can I be there and listen at this level of the conversation so that when I am there, I can name it. I can see what other work I need to do to go back there to into a meditation space. But it then gives me an orientation about how I take that experience and take it out into the world. How do I model to others my core values and what I believe to be true? How can I stand in my voice of saying, I hear you, and may I share a few thoughts with you about where I am right now? So there's so many different ways uh, to do this, but it's, it's that going back and forth, you know, and that's what it is. And we, if we look at the theory of integral nursing, it's moving into that we space. So within that we space, it is anybody in that we space, when we come together, our collective intelligences and who we are together, we can listen deeply. And in listening deeply to each other, then we discover, aha, and new possibilities and alternative possibilities. Yes. It is concerning right now how many of our colleagues are leaving the nursing profession. Right. And what I think is happening here is, I mean, the stressors are enormous. I was speaking with a nurse yesterday who works 
on the front line as a manager. And she was talking about the abuse of patients and families to nurses. And she said something that, you know, of course I've known, but just she said, today I was treated like I was a maid in a hotel. You know, it just breaks your heart to hear that stuff. And I listened to her and I asked her what she did. And she said, I just was so pissed I left the room. And I said, what did you do when you left the room? And she said, I just got madder. And at that particular point uh, is when I just said, is it possible that when that happens again, that you might be able to do this to diffuse some of that to so that you can tap into a place because you have such integrity and you have such resilience. And in our conversation about me not judging her what she did or what was going on there and knowing the stresses in hospital nursing right now, they're just extraordinary. Uh, And what she said is she said, thank you. She said, thank you. No one has talked to me in a long time. And I have gotten into a lot of bad habits. And I can see that my staff is getting into a lot of bad habits. And then we talked for about 10 or 15 minutes about things that she could do. So this is what I think and I I know is a real uh, important part of this is if we can bring people in that have some other possibilities to help people on the the front lines uh, know how to do that. Because the thing that happens is whatever has been stressful in the nursing profession, whatever he or she does next and anything else, they're going to combat that. They're going to confront the same things. It doesn't matter what the situation is. So how do you learn these skills? So I think that that's, uh, you know, one thing we can do is continue to work with managers and and people on the front lines, be willing to have that conversation and not rush it. Just, you know, that's one of the things that we know in nurse coaching is you listen to a story and what being concise, what kind of a little pearl can you drop that can just shift stuff? And just knowing that when we come together with someone else, we're the container, we're the container to hold that story. And many of the young nurses that and nurses that are leaving right now, they don't have anyone to tell their story to. They go and work 12-hour shifts. How we got to this, well, there are a lot of reasons we got to this point, but <laughs> it's just uh, exhausting. You know we, know, we know the literature. You can work about nine hours, and after that, it's these next three hours where the burnout and the mistakes happen. Yes. Yeah, so bringing nurse coaches into the hospital realm seems like a great idea. <laughs> I I think of your um, your co-author for the holistic nursing textbook. Uh-huh. There's a segment in there on nursing aesthetics, which you spoke to the art of nursing. And so for some nurses, this breathing thing. Our listeners are like breathing thing. Okay, I don't do meditation. And you know, Barbie, I do have to tell the quick story of when I first arrived for my nurse coaching training in New York City (laughs) in critical care nurse, black and white, yes and no protocol driven. I'm going to learn the nurse coaching thing. And the very first thing we do is a meditation. And I just said to myself, what the hell is this in my mind, in my own, and just the bristles on the back of my neck and everything up in arms. I did not come here to learn about meditation. I came to learn nurse coaching. 
tell me that, tell me that. And that's all I had in my mind at that time. The whole day, same thing. It kept me back from really being absorbed in, in this community that I was going to now spend the last 10 years in. Right. <laughs> you know, but, and I went to my room and I said, I'm not going back there tomorrow. This is terrible. I don't want to learn the meditation. What is this? I want to learn how to coach. I'm not going back. Meanwhile, I spent time, money, was so excited about this nurse coaching thing. And I was in my room, just angry, angry, angry in my, ugh. you know, I didn't have anybody to talk to. Nobody called my husband. He didn't get me. <laughs> he didn't understand <laughs> what was going on. And then I went to sleep. I woke up in the middle of the night and I said, what are you doing, Nicole? Yeah, right. What is going on with you? And I didn't quite have the pinpoint of what was really happening, but I knew that that was not really me and that could I be open to something different? Could I be open to something? Because here I am traveling across the country, investing time, investing money into something that really called to me at that moment why I signed up. And so I said, you know what, Nicole, and I was, I joked to myself and I knew it was me because I recognized my voice. <laughs> I said, Nicole, you're going back tomorrow and you're going to get your money's worth. Total critical care attitude, right? Going to get your money's right. worth, right? <laughs> Wasn't ready yet to take the steps to go more interior. So I'm going to get my money's worth. Show up the next morning. Barbie, you're there. You said, can I have a volunteer to come to the front of the class and experience coaching? So I shot my arm up in the air, getting my money's worth. Come to the front, sit in a chair across from you, 40 other nurses watching, <laughs> silence, very vulnerable, very vulnerable. And, and as I talk about this, I, I feel that vulnerability okay. coming up and in, in, you, you may hear it in my voice. Uh, and you sat across from me and you saw me. You, you've, you heard me, you took time to listen and you asked such beautiful questions that no one had ever taken time to ask me. And this is 10, 12 years ago now. And that opened me up to the journey of which I've, I've, you know, and I continue to do to this day of that, the connections that we make. So this value of being listened to by people who understand what nurses are going through on a daily basis, who have been in the shoes and can really see and clearly identify with that in a no judgment, no attitude, just hearing and being with someone um, is life-changing. And then we ran, you wound up in the same group with me and <laughs> you were the youngest in the group and you all of a sudden had nine big sisters. <laughs> I did. <laughs> I did. And I still do. I know. I still I, do. We loved you. And we, we just, I mean, you were the epitome of all of us have been there before. And we, you know, we, we recognized it and we just, Oh, we knew how fabulous you were and you were on your journey. <laughs> yes, we're all on our journey. But this connection of nurses hearing other nurses and coming together mm -hmm. in small communities to exchange the conversations is really the beginning of, of us healing 
all of the trauma that we experience, all of these uh, sorrow and suffering that nurses are experiencing on a daily basis, not just because of COVID, it was far be before COVID. So learning these tools and this aesthetics of nursing, the art of nursing, which is what I was really getting to, is that it doesn't always need to be breathing. That was just one practice that, that mm -hmm. you shared. But could it be something that you are so passionate about, like art, photography, music, movement, um, poetry, candles, scents, aromatherapy? What are those things that call to us? Right. And I think that is one thing that is really uh, exciting. I mean, it's like Larry and I yesterday went to a museum because they had a new showing. It was just absolutely thrilling to go in and spend, you know, about an hour uh, in the museum and just, I mean, I'm still on fire with what it was. And I want to go back and see it even, but just the novelty of it to get out of our routine, to do something a little bit different. And it was just extraordinary. And that is what is really important. And what I do think is going to help nurses stay in nursing is to be able to have uh, other forms of creating different whatever it is, uh, the aesthetics of nursing. We have to learn how to let our filters down, get deeply in touch with who we are, and then to have at least one soulmate who loves us unconditionally, regardless of what's going on, who will not call us crazy, but just will sit there and listen. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Barbie. <laughs> so in our last few moments, I love to ask a question. Yeah. <laughs> which is what is on your heart that you would like to share with nurses who are listening? What is on my heart right now is our beloved Florence Nightingale, the founder of modern secular nursing to remember all that she went through. She was born 1820, died in 1910. She came into our lifetime. Uh, I can say my, my grandparents were born in 1880. Nightingale born in 19, I mean, died in 1910. Here is a nurse who was a healer, a philosopher, the founder of modern secular nursing, a statistician, a brilliant statistician, a multifaceted complex genius and a mystic. And for us to remember what the legacy that she left us and how can we be the keepers of that light of healing for the world? How do we work together so that we have healthy people living on a healthy planet? That is what is on my heart, is to bring Florence Nightingale's legacy of caring and healing and that we are the flame keepers. And we have to keep that flame alive in ourselves in order for it to burn brightly out in the world. <sighs> Thank you, Barbie. Thank you. I take that all in. I know our listeners are as well. Thank you so much. Happy holidays. Thank you so much for your generous time and support of our inspiring integrative nurse coaches in action. Please share this episode with a colleague, leave us a five-star review, and follow us on social media. We look forward to keeping in touch with you. Remember to breathe and to rest.